Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, this is Tony Enzer, President and General Manager of your Amarillo Assad Poodles, and you're listening to Tom Talks Baseball. Welcome back. Another edition of the Tom Talks Baseball podcast, getting ready for the 2021 season. Looks like we're going to have one. We're going to try to have a full one and a few things are changing with that season, and we're going to talk about that a little bit as well and also get into our first look at the Arizona Diamondbacks farm system today. Uh, got a special guest on with that. Of course, we learned that Saw Poodles are going to be a Diamondbacks affiliate now. We, know we, we got to learn a bit about the Padres in 2019, but what do the Diamondbacks have to offer, and what kind of team can we expect to see? We're going to have a lot of fun learning about that for the first time today. Glad you found the podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Tom Talks Baseball Podcast, Twitter as well, at Tom Talks BBP. You can listen on Spotify, Apple, Google, and other places you get your podcast. I'm Tom Young. David Lovejoy here once again. How you doing, sir? How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Doing very well. And our guest, first time on the show as we try to learn about the Arizona Diamondbacks and what they have going on in their farm system. Isaiah Burroughs joins the podcast today. He is uh, a Diamondback prospect uh, prospect content provider for azsnakepit.com. You can check out that website. Also does uh, content uh, for prospectslive.com and MLB draft coverage. Isaiah, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. How you doing? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. And uh, be here. T- tell us where you're at right now. Oh, funny enough, I know I'm covering the <laughs> Diamondback system a little bit remotely, but I'm based here in Reno, Nevada. I'm a junior here at the University of Nevada, so just trying to get that degree and put as much content and put as much work out there as I possibly can. Good, good deal. And tell us a little, a little bit about yourself, Isaiah, and how you kind of became uh, this, you know, Arizona Diamondback prospect coverage guy. How did that come about? Ah, it's a great question. I guess it just started as a senior in high school, and I was afforded the opportunity to cover the Reno Aces and just go out to a few games, meet some of the players and coaches. And at that point, the Reno Aces are still a AAA affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks. So just forming a connection with not only the organization as a whole, but just the fans, the coaches, the players, the front office. It's truly a family for me. So that really just kind of fueled a passion for not only Diamondbacks prospects in particular, but just prospects in general, just seeing the growth and development of each player in the minor league baseball system. So stuff like that's just really exciting, and I just can't wait to get into it and grow more and more. So, And we're definitely excited to have you on here, and uh, we're going to learn a little bit about the Diamondbacks uh, farm system today. But before we get there, Isaiah, I just want to get your thoughts. Uh, I love having a different uh, perspective on things uh, on the podcast, and there have been a number of things that have happened on the MLB side. And, and one of those being the season is going to start on time, even though uh, you know city managers and mayors and the surrounding Arizona areas of spring training wanted to delay it by a month, so the owners tried to do that same thing, but the players' union said, no, we want to start on time. 
Uh, do you think baseball starting on time is a good idea, or do you think it would benefit it greater going forward had it waited an extra month to get going? I mean, just depending on the circumstances we're in right now, I personally believe that if it was delayed a month, it would help the game and not only the drawing of much more. But that's just you know that's just my personal opinion. I think you have to put lives and you know at this kind of time we're living in so many livelihoods at stake and the future of the game as a whole just can can it just be put on hold for a month for maybe brighter pastures you know we saw some serious serious issues with the COVID shortened season in 2020 and how many obstacles teams had to overcome with so many health protocols so if you can delay that and help that cause in any way by delaying it just a month I think the benefits would have helped but you know, um, baseball starting on time is, you know, good for content creators like us, you know, gets us back on the ball. So I'm excited in that regard, but I know I, there's certainly some concerns for the 2021 season coming in. So I guess we'll just have to see in that regard. Well, Isaiah, I'm going to start off with uh, this approach to it. Uh, there, going to the University of Nevada, uh, getting your degree. Uh, is, is Las Vegas your home originally? No, Nevada. funny enough, I was basically... Oh, uh, yeah, Nevada, Nevada. Like, I know locals here call it Nevada, mm-hmm. but I know so many people about the world call it Nevada. I have no <laughs> particular preference, which either way. I mean, mm-hmm. it's um, I've, I do not grow up in Las Vegas, though. Um, and funny enough, like, Las Vegas is about eight or nine hours from, you. from where I'm at. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. But, so, um, so a ways. It's still a ways. But, no, I've, I've been there a couple times, and, I really want to catch a couple aviators games if mm-hmm. I can. You know, that stadium looks great and everything like that. But I'm based more in Reno, Nevada. So that's more in the northern side of Nevada more than, northern. than the southern. So uh, uh, looking at the major league season, and like you said, it's it, it been a big issue. The what's been bouncing back and forth is uh, the issue of start time, when we're going to start the game. Uh, you're for a later time. Uh, I, I don't know how they're going to do that if they do start early. Will they call the minor leagues in a month later or how they're going to hold camp? Uh, but I, I want to get to some of those COVID issues that we had last year, how we kind of changed the game up and see how you feel. Do you think we should go ahead and go to that universal DH across the board? Should we keep the beer league rule of starting a man on second base uh, after uh, the into extra innings, uh, what are your thoughts on those two things that kind of were the hallmarks of this new uh, that new season last year? Uh, do you see any or all continuing? Yeah, I mean, I really don't know how much of a shelf life the universal designated hitter has. I really hope that it does have a shelf life because I think just producing more runs and getting you know getting better offensive results is not only better for the game, but I think it's what fans want to see and. That's the one thing you can kind of point at with MLB struggling in a lot of ways is not being able to attract somewhat of a younger audience and not being able to really grow the game in that aspect. So if you can produce more highlight role plays or more offensive production at the plate, there's no better way than an L designated hitter. Well, and the universal designated hitter helps in that regard, but I certainly hope we can see it. Mm-hmm. What well, we didn't learn over the last couple of days, uh, we're not going to have the universal DH mm-hmm. this year, mm-hmm. but we are going yeah. to continue the uh, extra inning rule with the runner on second, yeah. and we're going to continue the seven inning double headers, uh, yeah. at, at least for this year. <laughs> Beyond this year, I don't know, no, but no. but I, I was kind of shocked that the DH did not stay. I well, thought that would have been the one. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was like once we did it, mm-hmm. like once that changed 
change happen, we weren't going to go back. But I guess, you know, a lot of people want to see pitchers hit 110 again. So I guess <laughs> I, I guess if that's what we want to do. And, and, and it might even be a little harder for the pitchers to get to that you know 100 batting average because apparently the baseball this year is going to be deadened a little bit. Uh, you know, that they did some studies on the ball. They were flying out of the yard. The home run rates are the highest we've ever seen over the last couple of years. And, and so this new ball apparently – is going to fly one to two feet less on a ball hit 375 feet. And uh, five more teams are going to add humidors as a, a way to store baseballs at their stadiums, making 10 teams now. Uh, do you, Isaiah, think that this is a good move for baseball to try to limit the, uh, the frequency of home runs? Or do you think the more home runs, the better going forward? I just think the more home runs, the better going forward. But I certainly see the MLB's perspective in this because it not only has affected the MLB level, just the amount of home runs hit and the crazy, crazy exit velocities going on right now. It's also affected some of the minor league games. I mean, AAA in 2019 introduced that new ball and we just saw home runs absolutely skyrocket that season. Just hundreds upon hundreds and franchises breaking several of their team records. So, you know, at that point, it's still so difficult it's still one of the toughest things to do in the sport is to hit a home run but giving it that little bit of advantage you know giving it that kind of extra oomph to put it over the fence can be kind of tiresome in a way i can see i could see mlb's perspective in that but at the same time i'm i'm just i'm just the type of fan and trying to be a content creator just seeing the more home runs the better like you said i love seeing stuff like that i love seeing players succeed and not only the stat sheet but just the game as a whole more runs equals a lot more opportunity and a lot more interest in that regard so i'm disappointed to see the ball shrinking but at the same time i'm really interested to see how that changes heading into 2021 you know i i would like to think that players would adjust but you know we've seen the shift and they aren't adjusting to that, and they're just getting mad and throwing and throwing temper tantrums, and that they can't get base hits now because they won't go opposite way. So, who knows if they'll actually change their approach at the plate? But the good news, Isaiah, uh, if you do come to Hodgetown, you want to talk about a ballpark where runs are scored in bunches and home runs fly out over the place. We got one of the the best hitter friendly parks in all of minor league baseball here. And uh, we've only had one year to kind of get numbers on it, but the numbers were so overwhelming that, you know, teams were hitting home runs at a two-to-one clip here than they were everywhere else. Like, it is crazy. Like, pitchers will go on the road and be great, and they'll come here, and ERAs will be above eight. Like, it's, it's, it's just... It's, so, so you're going to love watching a ball game here. You might see, like, a 12-to-11 ball yeah. game every, every couple weeks or so. Uh, but at the Major League level, there's another thing that happened, and David and I were, were kind of talking about this uh, off the podcast a little bit. There was a massive contract that was signed with Trevor Bauer finally landing. And, of course, he lands on the team that won it all last year and probably didn't need any more help. And being a Diamondbacks guy, probably you aren't a fan of it too much either. But he gets this big old contract with the Dodgers, and now the Dodgers just appear to be stacked. And I'm going to say it right here, and I know baseball is the kind of game where anything can happen more so than any other sport. But if the Dodgers don't win a World Series, this year is a failure. Mm. I'm saying it mm. right now. If they don't oh, win at all, wow. it is a failure because, hard, because of you? this. But Bauer's contract, three-year, $102 million. This year alone, he's going to get $40 million, which is literally more, according to uh, SpotRack.com, than three entire payrolls. 
in all of Major League Baseball, and the average money he's making is more than two of those payrolls. Do you think this contract, Isaiah, is a good thing for baseball, or is it a sign of a potential problem down the road that teams can just spend money like this and really stock up, kind of like we've been seeing in the NBA? Yeah, I I know it's becoming a lot more of a kind of a centric problem to big market teams attracting bigger free agents and big players, but I see no problem with what the Dodgers are doing. Um, you know, there's no salary cap, so if they want to go over their own luxury tax and spend the money to get better as a team, more you know, more props to them. You know, and I respect the move on both sides. I respect Trevor Bauer. You're not really cashing in and securing a long-term deal in a way, but just making the most of an NL Cy Young Award in 2020 and cashing in in that regard for the next three seasons. And for the Dodgers, even if you have serious concerns, you know, Corey Seager is going to be a free agent next year. You still have Cody Bellinger. You still have all this young homegrown talent. Why not? If you want to keep opening up the pocketbook and get another marquee free agent to add to your rotation, I see no problem with it. I Listen, it's it's one of the things where teams are forced, teams are willing to spend, go over that mark. And some teams like the Colorado Rockies with that Nolan Arenado trade, you saw <laughs> kind of wow. what the problem is with baseball and teams like the Cleveland Indians having to trade Francisco Lindor because yeah. they're not willing to pay him. You're right. seeing these smaller market teams struggle, but at the same time, I don't think it's a detriment in any way for bigger market teams like the Dodgers who are willing to spend to improve their roster in every aspect because they're willing to spend the money to do so. I, I can see how it can become, I've already seen the chirpings and rumblings and how people are getting upset about, oh, you know, the top 10 teams are on the, you know, the two biggest markets and everything like that. And while that's understandable, you can't, I don't think you can really point the finger at them because they're willing to spend the money to do so, you know? All you have to do is uh, point your finger at the Mets. They've uh, tried to buy them a championship (laughs) ring the last three to four seasons. And, you know, sometimes it works. Sometimes, like they say, you're the Louisville slugger, and sometimes you're the ball. It it can, in, in theory, work. You've got a strong – he could be your one or two, you know. And, and we know Kershaw's had some injury issues over the last couple of seasons, but – he could get rocked too, you know, and it could be a detriment. Oh, yeah. But yeah, that's that's Definitely. baseball, yeah. So it'll be interesting moving forward. Uh, the thing I worry about is that a few players make more than the payroll of whole teams in this league. That's, that's, that's the part that I'm a little like that's scratching my head. Me, on. Yeah, that's... that makes me a little nervous right there. But uh, you know, I, I agree with you guys. It is what it is, and we'll see in September if it was worth the money. Well, I guess one oh, follow up a question, real quick, based on what you said there, David. Mm-hmm. Do you think there should be a salary cap mm-hmm. or a salary floor You're to, 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 to help with that? Because <laughs> other other leagues have that. Baseball, mm-hmm. you said, has a luxury tax, and you're right. The Dodgers didn't do anything wrong. No, you know they're they're willing to spend the money to go over and then pay the extra money necessary because of that penalty. But do you think there should be a cap? I think there should be. I mean, I I think there should be at least a salary floor in that regard mm-hmm. because, like you said, it forces teams to at least be competitive to a point financially that you have to staff players who are at least willing to go out there and produce a product that's worthy of being Major League Baseball. You know, and that's you know that just comes down to what owners are doing and being able to slush, you know, cut payroll slash any payroll whatsoever to whether that's moving their marquee player who becomes a free agent in two years or even signing a player long-term and then trading in two years later. It's things like that. That's what's really hurting the game. It's not 
teams who are already over the luxury tax signing players to make their team better. I really think instituting a salary floor would not only help the game financially, it'll produce a better product on the field. Yeah, I, I agree. My yeah. I mean, how do you? Yeah, yeah, you. I, I, I totally agree because I, I think because you're looking at like you know Pittsburgh and and Baltimore and uh, and Cleveland a, a little bit. Now, granted, some of the issues with some of these teams and you no know, Cleveland's issue, kind of like we've seen with Tampa Bay and Miami. You know, people don't go to the games, yeah, and yeah. so that they, they, I mean, they got some money coming in, but not as much as these other teams. And so you you, you get this great talent. And you've done a great job within your minor league system of building up the talent. You know, you're competing in World Series and all that stuff, but then eventually these guys, they've earned bigger paychecks, but because you're only drawing like ten to 15000 you know, like bottom three or four in the league, you know, you, you struggle to keep them. And I think, you know, like there was a time when, you know, in progressive field or the Jake it was back then, they, yeah. were, they were selling out like they had like a big old year long, like years streak of yeah. sellouts. But, with but, Albert Bell and yeah. the whole nine yards. But, yeah. but, but now they got one of the worst attendances in baseball. But yeah, I think a salary floor uh, would definitely help. We're chatting with Isaiah Burroughs. You can find him at azsnakepit.com, covering the Arizona Diamondback prospects. Also uh, with prospectslive.com, does some uh, scouting and MLB draft content there. And let's go ahead and transition to the minor leagues. And and a big change for sure here in Amarillo, Isaiah, as we are now going to be an Arizona Diamondbacks affiliate. I think still things aren't Overly official yet, but it's it's pretty much it's just a matter of time. Yeah. But before you know, they they put that ink to paper. <laughs> but uh, d- just a, a real quick synopsis of the Diamondbacks farm system. What would you say as a whole about it for us here in Amarillo, wanting to know more about what we can expect to see? Oh, exciting! I would say that's the first word that comes to mind when it comes to the Diamondbacks farm system: excitement, because. The system's deep, and it's got a lot of young talent. It's grooming in the lower levels of the minor leagues. So in a year, maybe even this season, you're going to see some of these top prospects, you know, trio of outfielders who each have their own kind of unique abilities. So many pitchers over the last couple of years through trades and draft picks. They're going to start making their way up the minor league system, and don't be surprised if you see a lot of them succeed in AA Amarillo this year. I mean, it's going to be... Really, really interesting to see. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna certainly be keeping an eye on who starts the year where, but I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a couple of Arizona's top prospects start the year in Double A, and that's got to get Sod Poodles fans excited. And that's something I was going to ask you about too, because this is kind of an unprecedented year because mm-hmm. we're coming off a season where a lot of these guys didn't get a chance to actually. You know, improve their craft and get better the way they normally do. Do you think? jumps will still be made or do you think they'll kind of reset a little bit and let's say if they finished in high a ball or a advanced they they'll start back there for a little bit to try to get you know their feet back underneath them how how do you think players will land this year based on what happened last year well with some of the farm directors i talked to including you know diamondbacks farm director josh barfield they did not take the 2020 season as some sort of like gap year or you know a year where it's just completely lost in terms of development because with these alternate training sites, with the fall instructional league going on, a lot of these younger players faced big league pitching. They faced serious, serious types of new pitching, new arsenals, and everything like that. So getting that type of reps and experience really helps them. 
It may have been in an, like a totally different environment that's not like the minor league landscape, but those scrimmages and being able to play every day against that high-level competition can really help them. So heading into 2021, um, you know, I asked that same question to Barfield you know, a couple months back, and he's expecting the, organiz- the organization to be really, really aggressive in a way where they're going to test their prospects. I don't think if, you know, someone like an Alec Thomas starts the year in high A ball, he may start the year in high A and be up in double A and set his sights there for the rest of the year. I really don't see the 2020 season being kind of like a stoppage in development. I really think, you know, a lot of prospects as a whole are going to be tested. and I think they're going to be aggressive in where they start the year and how they're going to be playing in which minor league affiliates. So I don't think it's going to be a certain, like, development issue whatsoever because with the help of those training sites and instructional leagues going on, I think prospects really did benefit from seeing that type of pitching and that type of playing time over a course of a season. It may not have been, you know, 140 games like a minor league schedule, but it was something nonetheless and something very important that they've never experienced before. So I think that's going to really help them coming into this year. Do you think the leagues, because this is also a brand new minor league setup, you know, the, the contraction did happen. We lost the 42 minor league teams, and now each organization has the four the AAA, AA, A advanced, and A ball. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that these levels will still be viewed as this in the same way as before? Like uh, you know, Double A is kind of like that prove it ground. If we think you're that major league type talent, or, or do you think they're going to adjust the way that they place players because they don't have those lower levels anymore? That's a great question. I mean, you said it yourself. Not having those short season ball clubs, you know, like Hillsboro in terms of Arizona, the Diamondbacks farm system, but seeing that type of shortage in minor league minor league clubs now, shortening it down to four, can, I think it's going to really kind of prove a testament to see where you're at. And in terms of double-A, I really think double-A is still going to be the standard of minor league baseball as a whole. You said it yourself. It's kind of a prove-it level because you're facing high-level pitching. You're not in the best of playing environments. Your statistics may not being the most eye-popping over the course of a season, but it's the production of what you're doing counts. And I think that won't change whatsoever. I really think what it's going to like impact is high A-ball this year. High A-ball may be really, really stacked with a lot of enticing prospects. And a lot of draft-eligible prospects from here on out will be in those draft-eligible clubs and getting work in those alternate sites. So I really think these next four levels are going to be Serious, serious level prospects who not only have a chance of making the major leagues and becoming an everyday player, but just living up to those star potential billings. You know, you've seen those labels you slap on some prospects and having some serious, serious buzz generating around some of those guys. So having those types of, you know, just shortening it to four levels, I think it's not only going to improve the level of competition throughout those four levels, but it's going to just show who they are as prospects and where they're at in their development. Uh, as we look forward, we look at both the Double uh, A team here and some of the potential prospects that could come in, and what the Diamondbacks need on their roster. Uh, what stands out for me uh, is the, the outfielders you have. Uh, you guys have that the Robinson kid, uh, Thomas uh, Corbin uh, Carroll. Uh, you try to look at that crystal ball and hope that these guys are productive guys for your organization. But as you start to build toward a, a championship team, are some of these players that that you hit, and it's a great recruiting class for the uh, Diamondbacks, are some of these players really kind of really setting themselves up to be a piece 
a piece of a move oh. here or a piece there? Oh, definitely. Uh, especially you hit the nail on the head with those three outfielders with Corbin Carroll, Christian Robinson, and Alec Thomas. Mm-hmm. Those are going to be the future. That's yeah. right. Those three guys right there. And I'd even throw in Geraldo Perdomo, the shortstop, you know, 60, you know, almost like a 60 grade caliber yeah. glove. Being, a, being able to be a part of the culture of what Arizona is building, you're seeing it with those four guys. And that's the top of the crop, in my opinion. And, it's going to still take some time and a little bit of seasoning because, you know, Corbin Carroll, he's in his third year now with the organization. Alec Thomas is in his fourth, and Christian Robinson just turned 20 years old. So they're still young, they're still developing, but it's going to be so enticing in a way because a kid like Corbin Carroll, a Swiss Army knife, he's just got so many abilities, so much potential, so much. He's just going to be a complete product, I would say both on and off the field. He's able to hit for contact, hit for average at the next level. He's going to draw a great amount of walks. He's still going to be a center fielder. He can. He has the arm for right field. He's going to be a 15-20 base stealer at the next level potentially. And Christian Robinson, right now Christian Robinson, he was viewed as a consensus top prospect, you know, mm-hmm. I would say eight to ten months ago. And a little bit of swing and miss, a little more strikeout prone, has raised some concerns, but in the land of minor league baseball and prospects, there's not many who have his potential and power at the plate. Mm. And I think Arizona is going to take its time honing in on those strengths. And if he's able to just consistently get on base and hit at that kind of 275, 250 mark even, we're going to really see him translate and turn into a potential you know, all-star caliber player. He's got that type of ceiling. And Alec Thomas is, in a way... A Corbin Kell-esque player, just a kid who can do it all from the left side of the plate. He's got really good speed, great left-handed swing, smooth, straight, flat forward plane, able to hit, produce contact to all fields, and has a kind of defensive flexibility to play all three outfield positions as well. So those three guys and, you know, throwing in a potential gold glove shortstop, as some people have called him, and Geraldo Perdomo is just so enticing to see what the top of that Diamondbacks farm system is going to be. And I think by 2021, there could be a good chance you may see someone like Podomo, potentially Alec Thomas by this season and with the sod poodles. So if they get some runs in double A, I think it'll be really, really fun to see. And that's kind of the cusp of the top of the Diamondback system. And like you said, they're going to be a part of this future very, very soon. Yeah, in fact, those those four guys right there you were talking about, uh, all four in the MLB Pipeline Top 100, mm-hmm. uh, but part of the reason why the Diamondbacks have a top 10 farm system right now. But like you were saying there, Isaiah, a lot of them are still, like, even for a minor league level, uh, pretty young and, and still have a bit to prove. So, like, are these guys that you can see down the road, you know, becoming higher-rated prospects, like maybe high-ceiling type guys, or do you think... Where they're at right now is kind of where they're going to be. Um, oh, that's a really good question. I mean, I think in a way you could see Perdomo if he p- continues to produce mm-hmm. at the plate the yeah. way he's been able to. I think you can see him potentially creep up higher on prospects lists. I know he's kind of towards the back end on MLB Pipeline and Baseball America and a few other outlets as well. But he's shown the ability to really get on base with his switch hitting capabilities. I just think at this point he's going to be a little bit limited for power. And I think in a way that's going to be the system as a whole. You're not going to see a lot of guys who produce 20 plus home run seasons at the major league level. I don't think that's what they're really about in a lot of ways as an organization, but 
with Padomo in particular, if he continues to hone in on those offensive t- tools he has, along with his 60-grade tools defensively, I think he's going to be able to move a few kicks up. Alec Thomas can, I think he's going to, he, he's another guy who can potentially move a few spots up, especially since he produced so well in high A for in 2019 and really opened some eyes last season at Instructs. He's another kid who can move up. And, and in all honesty, all four of them can move up. I think Corbin Carroll can potentially be a top 20 prospect by the end of 2021. I, I think the industry is really high on him for a lot of reasons, as I you know said previously, just with what he's able to do. And in terms of uh, if you're asking for another group of guys who can potentially crack a top 100, by 2000, you know, by the tail end of 2021 or 2022, you're looking at guys like potentially Blake Walston. Wilder Patino is very interesting if he's able to get a full season stateside. Levi Kelly, Bryce Jarvis, Blake Jaconi. So this system isn't just the top four guys, as we've been talking about. I mean, this system's really deep with a lot of pitching depth. So I think by next season, you're going to start seeing that develop and really get some recognition as well because they've done a great job organizationally to target pitching and target the types of pitchers they like. And they've got an intriguing mix of arms for sure. Uh, I tell you, that's the thing in the uh, NL West, too. You have a, a dichotomy of styles. You have the Dodgers who say, I'm going to break the bank. I'm going to buy everything plus a pair of shoelaces. You got the Padres who built from a farm system, and then they started making big moves. Arizona, over the last five to six seasons, has consistently been a good ball club, maybe missing one or two for pieces and just finishing outside the horse race. But it'll be interesting to see, now that this arms race is going on between the Dodgers and the Padres, will the Arizona Diamondbacks keep following that course, or will they be tempted, maybe, to say, hey, we can make a move now. Let's make that big move. Let's trade these six and these four. Uh, you've been following the Diamondbacks for a while can you speak to that as far as the organizational's mindset? I know you're not in the room, but it's just not normally what we've seen out of the Diamondbacks when it comes to player development. Oh, definitely. And I think just for the Major League Club as a whole, they, you know, just heading back into last season, coming into that year, they really had a great 2019 campaign, mm-hmm. opened some eyes, and were just so close of missing the playoffs. and going out there and spending some money in the 2020 offseason on guys like, you know, Madison Bumgarner obviously got that five-year deal. But then it's the smaller signings like Cole Calhoun, who absolutely exploded with them last year. It was yeah. a great signing. A few other guys, so they're willing to spend the money in a way. And then you started to see that 2020 season really fall apart for them. Mm-hmm. And you start seeing them ship off some of their core guys, like, you know, an Archie Bradley um, you got Andrew Chafin, a few of their bullpen pieces at the deadline. So I think right now the organization's in a kind of a tough spot, like you said, because the NL West is loaded. <laughs> it's got a lot of superstars now, and the Padres are shooting for the top. Mm-hmm. Giants are still competitive, and we know what the Rockies are doing right now. I think we're starting to see what they're doing as yeah. an organization. But between the Dodgers and the Padres right now vying for the top spot, this could be a time for Arizona to just really see what it has as an organization, because they do have some core pieces. They still have a guy like Cattell Marte, mm-hmm. Christian Walker. What are they going to do with Eduardo Escobar, who had a really down year last season? Is he going to be the third baseman? Nick Ahmed's still locked up, but he could potentially be on the move if Arizona struggles out of the gate. So it'll be really interesting to see this season just how well they get off to start the 2021 season, because if they may, you know, if they surprise some people and are kind of vying for an NL wildcard spot, 
Mike Hayes and general manager for the Diamondbacks, he's the type to, you know, kind of put his chips to the table in a way mm -hmm. and really get those types of key players and key pieces at a deadline to, you know, potentially push for a playoff position. And just as a team can be competitive, you've seen him also be content in selling pieces and building for the future and building that, you know, that deep farm system. So I think this year's going to be a little bit more grim than 2020 even was because of just how loaded the NLS is going to be this year and how much the Diamondbacks have struggled. But at the same time, I think you're going to really start to see who some of the core pieces are for the future. And I think, you know, for years to come, you're going to start seeing this talented farm system really make its way to the major leagues. So uh, I'm, that's I'm, kind of the Diamondback scope. Look at it. And I'm really interested in Marte's devel development on the major league level. Uh, and see how he's uh, coming along because he, he could have that potential to be a big star. And here's an option. Why don't you guys apply for a commissioner's exemption and try to play in the NL Central this year? I think maybe yes, uh, with those I teams, that would help us yeah, that, that might, you might have a better shot, you know, over there. <laughs> Love to play some guys like the Padres. And, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Without Trevor Bauer now. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, try to vibe for that spot. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, skip <laughs> that, be able to, that, maybe able to squeak out a few more wins. Yeah, take on Cincinnati 12 yeah. times. That'll well, be a better yeah. luck. <laughs> well, I, I guess the good thing about, you know, here in Amherst, while the, the Diamondbacks, you know, as an organization, maybe tr trying to figure out if it's rebuild or go for it time, and, and like you said, the first couple months may determine what direction they go with that. If they bring in, you know, new MLB players, which means you can use this good farm system to try to entice those uh, trades to be made, or maybe you, you sell off some more at the top to fill up the farm system again. Either way, the farm system is looking pretty good right now, and there is a potential for a good future there in Arizona. And, and we talked about these top four guys a lot in Carol Robinson, Thomas, and Perdomo. It, do you think any of those, like if you had to put money on it, do you think any of them are starting here? And if not, who are maybe the best one or two guys that you could see on a double-A sod poodle roster to start in 2021? Yeah, if I had to put my money on those top four guys, I think my money would be on Geraldo Perdomo just because we saw him play a lot at high A Visalia in 2019, really started honing in and got some pretty good experience during instructs and instructional league in 2020. So it could be, you know, I, I put it at maybe a 60, 40 chance that he could start the year in double A. I just really think if he does start the year at that high of a level, he really needs to hit coming out of the gate because if he starts to struggle offensively and at the plate, he may be sent back to back down to high A, get his kind of groove back. And that's where it's going to be so interesting is just how many, you know, like, like we talked about, just how aggressive is the organization going to be and where they're going to place these guys. But Amar you know, Amarillo is going to be a really enticing spot for a lot of guys. So, like, you know, you could see a, a, a pitcher, a right-handed pitcher by Josh Green. I have him starting in A this year. Really nice sinker-curveball combination, forces a lot of soft contact and ground balls. Uh, J.B. Bukowskis, who was one of the key members in the Zach Granke deal a couple years back at the deadline, he could start the year. You know, he could be a viable year to start the year at Double A. Um, I mean, who else? Dominic Fletcher's another interesting one, another kind of do-it-all outfielder mm -hmm. with a lot of tools, good speed, good good contact, just kind of lacks power offensively. He can be another interesting player. Matt Tabor's another interesting one. Heck, the organization's been so aggressive with Levi Kelly. I don't expect him to start the year in double A, but by the tail end, if he continues to produce, he's another player, another top prospect in the system. You could see playing with the sod poodles by 2021. So this system's really deep. 
And I think the AA club is going to be very, very loaded by the end of 2021. It may not start out that way, but in a way, I think as the season progresses, you're going to start seeing a lot of these top names really start to develop in Amarillo, and it's going to be really exciting. I think Sod Poodle fans are going to like what they see. Well, in, in 2019, Vesalia won the league uh, title, I believe, which is the the A Advanced yeah. League. So, if you know some of those guys are moving up together, of course they'll probably get split one way or another. But you definitely got uh, a a winning group of players possibly uh, starting off here in Amarillo. And uh, Isaiah, we'd love to have you back on the podcast once we figure out this roster to start the season to kind of break it down a little bit. Uh, been a lot of fun chatting with you today, Isaiah Burrows, who uh, follows the Arizona Diamondback. Prospects at azsnakepit.com also does stuff for prospectslive.com. Before we get you out of here, just your thoughts on Amarillo being your new double A home. Have you heard a whole lot about this place after our first year of minor league baseball in eons, or is it still something that's uh, pretty new to you? Uh, it's still a little bit new, but I, I won't lie. I thought the 2019 season you guys had was absolutely spectacular. You know, that Taylor Trammell walk-off home run was so awesome. Oh, man. I just heard the crowd absolutely explode. I'm so excited to see that. I mean, I know as we talked about, the Sod Poodles bringing in a lot of attendance, and that's so great for minor league baseball as a whole. And for an organization like the Diamondbacks, who I try to, you know, they're, with their farm system, I try to cover as closely as possible. I think the Sod Poodles are going to be such a fun fit. It's going to be a really, really fun team. And like you said, just the league in general and how many runs it can produce throughout the course of a game is going to be so exciting. So I can't wait. I think Amarillo is going to be so much fun. I think the system is going to continue to develop and, Amarillo is going to be the perfect place to do it. Yeah. Well, I know we here are very excited about seeing you guys uh, come to town, seeing what the Diamondbacks have to offer. And if, uh, Isaiah, you're ever in town, uh, let David and me know. We'll take you out to eat yes, because sir. in Amarillo, that's all oh, we do is so eat. <laughs> we eat. I've heard, I've heard yeah. that's the Texas way. Yes, yeah. we model, have right? restaurants no, inside restaurants. Yeah, I mean, we, we, <laughs> we have crazy stuff. I'm here for the restaurant, not yeah, that one. Yeah, not that one. The other one. Isaiah Burroughs, once again, Find his work at azsnakepit.com, also prospectslive.com. Thank you very much for joining us today on the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast. Uh, Stay safe out there in Reno, Nevada, and hope to talk to you again soon. Oh, yes, sir. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute blast. I hope you both have a great rest of your day. All right. You too. Can't wait to come down. We'll watch some baseball. Thank you very much, Uh, David, uh, for joining us today. This has been the Tom Talks Baseball Podcast. Hopefully you learned something about the Diamondbacks farm system, and we will talk to you again next week. Have a good one.